0: Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking about what Ironman taught me about running injuries. So the big question is this, how are runners like us, who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. When I was a kid, on the weekend, I would sit on the floor on the shag carpet with my back leaned up against the couch, and I'd eat Cheerios while watching a program on television called the CBS Wide World of Sports. I can still remember in the opening scene of of that show, the commentator would say this thing, and he'd say, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Now, there was one day in particular that was really a formative moment for me as a kid when I was watching that show, eating my bowl of Cheerios, when my perception of what was possible really and truly changed forever. There was an episode on the Ironman triathlon. I'd even never heard the word triathlon at that point, and I had absolutely no idea what it meant to become an Ironman, but I learned that day completely and totally awestruck with my back leaning against the couch. The Ironman Triathlon is widely considered to be one of the world's most grueling single-day athletic events. The start of the event begins in Hawaii with all the participants treading water in the open ocean off the Kona Pier. And when the cannon goes off at 7 a.m., the day begins. and The athletes swim away from the island straight out to sea. And once they get 1.2 miles offshore, they turn around and swim back. So the first portion of the event consists of a 2.4 mile ocean open swim. I watched all those guys swimming through the waves, you know, uh, in the sun, helicopter shots of them from way up above showing these tiny little dots going through the ocean. And the whole scene truly gave me goosebumps. Well, as soon as these athletes get back to the pier, they climb up out of the ocean and they hop on bikes and then they took off on a 112 mile bike ride through blazing hot lava fields in brutal winds. And if all that wasn't enough, long after the morning had shifted into the afternoon, it was time to run a marathon. So 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride and a full 26.2 mile marathon all in the same day. Now, what really got me wasn't even the distance. It wasn't even the combination of doing all those same things on the same day, even though that was all incredible. It was really Julie Moss. Now, she was a college student who was doing the race, and on that day, she was making her way to the finish line and completely and totally collapsed from exhaustion. But did Julie give up? No. She was bound and determined to become an Ironman, so she crawled all the remaining distance until she made it across the finish line. Even though the medical personnel had to pick her up and carry her away, Julie Moss had done it. She was an Iron Man. Watching that scene as a kid changed me forever. I mean, I decided in that moment, sooner or later, I was going to do Iron Man Hawaii, even if I also had to crawl across the finish line. And I started running. You know, I got my dad up early anytime there was a race on Saturday morning within driving distance of our house. And he would take me to places like Lafayette, Georgia, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, any place there was a 5K or a 10K or anything else, I wanted to run it. And on the afternoons, I would get out of school and I would put on my jogging clothes and I'd go for a run. I got a Sony Walkman for Christmas so I could listen to cassette tapes of Cheap Trick, Rush, and this new band called Van Halen while I ran. Now, during those summer months, we would go to the lake and my grandfather would get in a canoe and he would follow me while I would try to see if I could swim all the way across Chickamauga Lake and back because I was going to be an Ironman. Well, but unfortunately, one of the things I didn't fully understand at that time was that no matter how hard I trained and no matter how hard I tried, uh, they were not going to let a 10-year-old kid enter Ironman Hawaii. So while my dream of becoming an Ironman was kind of put on hold, I ran cross country and I did other, you know, more normal, I guess, kid stuff, but I never forgot about the Ironman. And then one day, fate struck in the Dallas airport. I was on my way home from Birmingham, Alabama, and I just finished running my very first marathon. I was in a bookstore in the airport and I saw this magazine sitting on the bottom shelf of the stand called The Road to Kona. Well, the Road to Kona was a special edition of the Triathlete magazine that explained and highlighted the details of all the existing Ironman triathlon events around the world. It talked about the courses, about how many hills there were, uh, about all of the details of the event, and how many Kona slots there were for each one of these particular races. And a Kona slot, I learned at that time, was how many slots there were dedicated to each race that would be given to participants who finished uh, high enough in the rankings to secure a slot for the Ironman World Championships, which starts and ends in Kona, Hawaii. So as I sat on the plane reading the road to Kona, I realized that there are now a lot of different races, you know, Ironman races around the world, not just Hawaii, but in other places too. And also these other races were basically set up to let people like normal people just sign up and go do a race and prove themselves, become an Ironman. And if they were fast enough, maybe even win a chance to do the Super Bowl of all triathlons, Ironman Hawaii, the Ironman Triathlon World Championships. Well, that same night, when I was at home in bed, sitting there with my laptop, I pulled out my credit card and I registered for Ironman Arizona. When I did... It actually made my palms sweat. Like somehow deep down inside, I knew this was going to be an enormous undertaking. And at the time, I was living in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I was doing my foot and ankle surgery residency at the University of Utah. Now, on those rare evenings, when I would get out of clinic or out of the hospital early enough, I'd go to Liberty Park and I'd run lap after lap around the one and a half mile loop around the park. Well, when I was doing that, I mean, it, it was kind of demoralizing because i had these days where, you know, I'd pull up to the park and I would think, all right, I'm going to run. And I would get out of my car and I'd start running and I would run. And then I would see, you know, a car pull up and a couple would get out and they would they'd start running together and they'd be talking and they'd run, you know, they'd run a few laps and they'd get back in their car and leave. And then some guy would pull up, get out of his truck, start running. He would run a few laps, get in his truck and leave. And so I would just keep running and running around Liberty Park, watching people come and go, realizing that this is nuts, me just running laps around Liberty Park. But that's what I did. One night I got to Liberty Park and it was cold. I mean, freezing cold. But that was the only time I had to run because I was in residency. So I started running and it started to rain then it started to snow and I kept crunching along in the snow trying not to slip and fall while icicles actually formed on the brim of my hat and truthfully I wanted to quit and get back in my car and go home but when I did every time I literally would look at my car as I was running toward it and I would think about Julie Moss crawling across that finish line and I would run one more lap it was painful and tedious running at Liberty Park it was boring But I kept picturing Julie Moss crawling across the finish line in Hawaii and I kept trying to convince myself that me, I was actually going to be an Ironman one day too. So since that time, you know, I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about the backstory and why finishing the Ironman was actually so important to me. One day, years later, when I'd finished residency and I actually had a normal practice, I was sitting in my office talking to an eight-year-old boy and his mother and that kid and his mom were there to see me because the kid was pigeon-toed and he had trouble running and his pediatrician had said maybe they should come see me and maybe i could help with that problem the moment i was struck by why all of this iron man stuff was so important to me was when i was telling this kid a story so i was talking to this kid and i was explaining to him that when i was a kid i'd been pigeon-toed as well But everything in life, sometimes it seems like it's a disadvantage and then it often turns out to be an advantage because more often than not, our own individual struggles often give us an opportunity to relate to somebody who actually needs help. And those people can sometimes benefit from whatever struggles we happen to think we suffered from. You know, but sometimes it's like life happens for us, not to us. Well, just like this kid I was talking to that day, when I was a little boy, I was so pigeon-toed that I had to wear these funky, ugly shoes and... Also, when I would start to run, oftentimes I would trip over my feet. I mean, literally trip over my own feet because they were pointed inward so much. When I was eight years old, my parents had signed me up for t-ball. And uh, you know, my dad would come home from work. He would take me out in the yard. We'd throw the ball. uh, He would give me pointers on what to do. He got me a practice t-ball set. And all summer long, I would go out into the backyard, set up the t-ball set, and I would knock baseballs all the way into the woods behind our house. And I really wanted to be good at it. One summer afternoon, while all our parents were sitting in the stands at the t-ball field, it was my turn to bat. I pulled the bat back, and I swung as hard as I could, and I could hear the ring of the bat as that ball launched into the air. It was on its way deep into left field. It was a home run hit if there ever was such a thing in t-ball. For a split second, I was motionless, like in disbelief, watching the ball fly through the air. But it suddenly snapped me out of it when Coach Stamps screamed at me, Run, Ziggler! And even my name's Segler. Coach Stamps always called me Ziggler, which I really hated, but whatever, it got my attention. So anyway, that's not really relevant to this story. When Coach Stamps yelled at me, I took off running as fast as I could, heading for first base. Unfortunately, in all this excitement, I lost my focus, and I actually tripped over my own feet halfway between home plate and first base. Now, I heard some of the parents gasp, and I actually heard some of the kids laugh, and the truth is... The whole thing was humiliating and totally painful with me falling on my face like right after I basically hit what should have been a home run. You know, but I explained that story to this kid sitting in my office and I told him and his mom that it didn't have to be that way, that we could fix it so he didn't have to trip over his own feet anymore. Well, that afternoon on a run, I actually realized that when I had the talk with that little boy, that was a large part of what I thought it meant to sort of take me on this journey to Ironman Hawaii, what it would mean to be this kid that wouldn't blow a home run by tripping over his own feet in front of Coach Stamps, in front of his friends, and in front of all of our parents. And when you're getting in the water for the start of an Ironman, it's intimidating. A couple of thousand people are all wearing wetsuits, dark goggles, swim caps that say Iron Man in huge letters on the sign of them. And they all look like serious, tough athletes. And yet, for some ridiculous reason, you have decided to compete with these people. The water in Tempe Town Lake, it's it's cold and, you know, it's early in the morning. And so we're in the water. We're all treading water, waiting for the start of this race. I turned around and looked up behind me and I could see like all these people, you know, family members and friends and stuff, spectators on the bridge, all waiting for the race to start just watching. And then I turned around and I looked toward this crowd of people in front of me, all treading water and the sun was coming up and I'm glaring like straight into the sun, low on the horizon. So you would think that I would have all this excitement running through me because I was actually there. I was at the Ironman thing. But the truth is, I was terrified. You know, I'd never been swimming in open water with a group of people ever in my entire life. And now I was about to begin what was supposed to be the most grueling single day athletic event on the planet. When the cannon fired, all the thrashing began, and, you know, there was people splashing, people clawing, and I was just trying to stay away from people so I wouldn't get clobbered. And I kept thinking, just keep moving. And, you know, little by little, as I would, like, tilt my head to take a breath while I was swimming, I could see people, spectators, on the side of the lake kind of slowly drifting by, like, you know, confirming I was actually moving. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Well, about an hour and a half later, I was out of the water and I was heading for the change tent. I got on my bike and I took off and I made it through the swim. I made it through the bike ride. And then when I took off on the marathon, I actually really thought I had a chance to finish. But about halfway into the run, I started to have chest pain. I mean, I could feel this sharp, throbbing, pounding sensation on the left side of my chest, just over my heart. Now, that is not a good thing. Interestingly, about a week before the race, I'd been working in the emergency room When I had to admit this guy, a patient, the same age as me, for a heart attack. So I started to walk. I walked about a mile or two and I thought, oh, well, you know, it's okay. The chest pain started going away. But I looked at my watch and I realized I was in serious danger of failing to make the cutoff of midnight. And if you're not in before midnight, you're not an Ironman. You're just a loser. Well, I knew if I didn't do something, I wouldn't even get a chance to crawl across that finish line. So what did I do? I started to run and about two miles later my chest pain came back so I walked and then my chest pain went away but being both a slow learner and a risk taker I decided to run again well you'll never guess what happened no my chest pain didn't stay away it came back but what happened is that I realized that you know I have this long family history of heart disease and while I was in medical school my father dropped dead in the kitchen at age 59 while he was talking to my mom This is probably another story, but at age 28, before I went to medical school, I had a stroke after knee surgery. When I woke up, I was paralyzed on the right half of my body, I wound up in the hospital, and the doctors told me things like, you'll never walk normally again, you'll never be able to ride a bicycle, you'll probably won't even be able to drive a car. And just in case you're wondering, I was not exactly inspired by the prognosis of all these medical experts. In any event, the sun dropped and the evening turned into night and I looked at my watch and I realized that if I walked the rest of the way, I could probably make it in before midnight. And so I walked. I walked a long, long way. But after nearly 17 hours of continual forward motion, when I crossed the finish line, I heard Mike Riley, the official announcer at Ironman races, boom over the loudspeakers. Christopher Segler, you are an Ironman! Now, the next day, my wife and I were having lunch with her parents, and we were all standing out in front uh, getting ready to order our sandwiches. And the woman at the front counter looked at my Iron Man finisher t shirt, and her jaw literally dropped open. And she said, Oh my God, did you really do the Iron Man? And I said, Well, yeah, actually, I sure did yesterday. Wow, that is amazing. Well, now I have to tell you that like uh, in front of my you know, wife and my in-laws and stuff, that actually felt pretty good. But the story really doesn't end there because although Ironman Arizona is an Ironman, everybody knows that it's kind of, I guess if you could call an Ironman easier, it's one of the easier races. And it's not Ironman Hawaii. And if I wanted to go to Hawaii and I wanted to get in the water off the Kona Pier I was going to have to get a whole lot faster than just barely making it in before midnight. 17 hours was not going to cut it. So I trained. I did my long runs in the middle of the day when the sun was at its peak. I would switch from running all of my runs in the morning to running in the afternoon. Because that's the only marathons that mattered to me. Is that all Ironman marathons, of course, begin after you swim, and after you bike a long, long way, so it's always late afternoons. I figured I might as well get used to running in the afternoon instead of running in the morning when it feels good. And slowly but surely, I started to get faster. I started to do some research and I went through and combed the internet for Ironman triathlon race results. I made a spreadsheet. I looked up all the names of every single athlete in my age group who had qualified for Ironman Hawaii the year before. I went to every single individual race website and I found the spreadsheet of their race results. I looked up all those athletes to find out how fast they had finished in order to secure their slot for Kona and a chance to race at the Ironman World Championships. What I did next was I basically typed up a sheet of all those race results with all those people that qualified for Hawaii. And then I added a line right in the middle of the spreadsheet. I put my name on that line and a finishing time of 10 hours and 59 minutes and 59 seconds. And then I stuck that on my refrigerator with magnets. I got one of those bracelets that they give away at Marathon Expos that has a tally of all the specific pace per miles you have to run at marathons to achieve a certain finishing time. I circled the pace I thought I needed to run which was going to be fast enough to help me qualify for Ironman Hawaii. And I wore that bracelet. Every bike ride, every run, and every time I would go swim, I would picture getting out of the water, getting off the bike, crossing the finish line, all within my goal time. And in short, I trained my butt off. And then one day I signed up for Ironman Louisville and I decided for some reason that I could see if I could go 12 hours and I figured out how fast I'd have to swim, how fast I'd have to ride and how fast I would have to run to achieve that goal of finishing an Ironman in 12 hours. And every time I rode, I tried to stay on pace. Every time I ran, I thought about seeing the finish clock at 11.59.59 and all of that visualization and work paid off and at Ironman Louisville, I crossed the finish line in 11 hours and 57 minutes. Now, just about goals, I don't think it's a coincidence that I was shooting for 12 hours, and I finished less than three minutes within my goal time out of 12 hours. Uh, It just can't be a coincidence. Well, the thing is, is that Ironman Florida was a few months after Louisville, and the way I figured it, Kentucky has hills, but Florida is flat. So I decided... I could possibly chop a full hour off my Ironman time. I told my friends in the triathlon club that I was going to go 11 hours at Ironman Florida. Most of them actually laughed out loud at me. They said, dude, there's no way you can chop an hour off your Ironman time in just a few months. That's ridiculous. It takes years to build all that fitness. There's no way. Lesson number one, don't always expect support from the people who actually understand your event. I told my family that I was going to go 11 hours at Ironman Florida. Most of them said, you're going to hurt yourself. What about the chest pain thing? What if you have a heart attack? What if you have another stroke? Lesson number two, don't always expect support from the people who love you. But with or without support or encouragement, I was determined. Everything was going great and my fitness was good. I could hold my pace on the bike for hours without any trouble. I felt strong when I ran in the hot sun. And about a month before the race, I made one of the dumbest mistakes you could possibly make. I had planned to run the race at Ironman Florida in Newtons, but I actually hadn't been running in my Newtons since Ironman Louisville. And you have to sort of build up your tolerance and strength when you're running in Newtons because they force you to land on your forefoot. And sometimes, you know, these little micro decisions we make, they add up from tiny bad decisions, all independently justifiable. They turn out to be one big, huge collection of bad decisions that is a serious consequence attached to it. Now that weekend, I was planning to do a long run on Sunday, and we all know long runs are supposed to be slow. Bad decision number one, thinking a slow run equals an easy run. My friend Katie asked me if I wanted to run with her that weekend, and I said, hey, sure, that'd be great. Now Katie always likes to talk when we run, so I figured we'd be running slower than normal. But what failed to occur to me was that Katie was also a track star in college. She can run and talk, both of them, very fast at the same time. Bad decision number two, thinking running with Katie would be easier than usual. And then, of course, I also realized I needed to run in my Newtons that weekend. We wound up running 16 miles of a relatively hilly course, relatively fast, in shoes I was not used to at all. Now, I kind of noticed I was having some aching pain in my ankle at around 10 miles. But, of course, Katie kept talking and I kept running. The next morning, I woke up and when I stepped out of bed, I felt a searing pain in my ankle. And I looked down and I had an enormous bruise, which was on the side of my foot, covering like a third of my foot. I sat on the edge of my bed, staring at that bruise with my head literally in my hands, in complete and total disbelief. You know, I guess I was hoping that if I just stared at it long enough, the bruise would vanish and all of this would just like turn into a bad dream instead of the crippling reality like right in front of me. Now, what I had was a really, really bad case of perineal tendinitis. And based on what I knew, what I had learned in medical school, what I learned in my foot and ankle surgery residency training, and because of the size of that bruise on my foot and the amount of pain I had in my ankle, I figured it was actually a pretty good chance I'd actually split or torn the perineal tendon. Well, the normal treatment for this condition is widely accepted as four to six weeks of immobilization and protection in a fracture walking boot, which is basically a removable cast. And of course, that means no running, no biking, and certainly no trying to go 140.6 miles in a single day. But then as I started thinking about what I really and truly knew about the way our bodies heal as runners, I decided that I was going to try something different. And what I did was I put on a fracture walking boot. I doubled down on all the things I would usually do to recover after hard workouts. And I tried to do every single thing I could think of that might maximize my recovery in the hopes of calming down this injury. Two days later, I took off the boot and My foot was bruised, still, but I didn't have any pain. And I walked around the house and I didn't have any pain, so I went for a short bike ride. No pain. I waited a day and then I went for a longer bike ride. No pain. I started to think, maybe I still have some hope here. Now, although all the evidence might suggest otherwise, I am not a complete idiot. I did stay off of running. But that really wasn't that big of a deal because I also realized since, you know, it was just about four weeks before the race... It was almost time to start the three-week taper for the race anyway. When I got to Florida, a couple days before the race, I did a short test run of three miles. No pain. So my dream was back online. Although it's a popular race, Ironman Florida has one of the worst swim setups of all the events. You start on the beach, you run into the water, pushing and shoving and elbowing all the other competitors. I mean, it's really more rugby than swimming. And it's a two-loop swim course, and you have to round these huge floating buoys, And of course, every time all the swimmers head to make the turn around the buoys, everybody gets all bunched up and it's kind of like a wet boxing match. But I survived the swim and I got on the bike. Now, the bike ride was actually going great until mile 75 when a yellow jacket flew straight into the front vent on my aero helmet and stung me on my poor defenseless bald head. Now I was, you know, like frantically trying to get my hand under the helmet to squash him, but... I did not want to risk a disqualification from a chin strap violation. So me and my little friend in my helmet buzzed along for about another seven miles or so. And then 20 miles of a bee in my bonnet later, I pulled over to an aid station, dismounted, took off my helmet and got the thing away. And it like flew off into the pine trees. As I pedaled back toward town, I really felt great because there was like this 26 to 30 mile an hour tailwind. So I'm making great time. But the last 10 miles are straight into the wind. And I knew this was going to be a problem because most people blow it at this point because they start trying to pedal and keep that same, you know, 26 mile an hour pace heading into a headwind. And that's a recipe for disaster. So I just relaxed and I slowed down in this stretch so I could make sure that I would be able to run once I got off the bike. Well, I set off on the run course at a pretty easy pace. And I did the math and I realized that to finish under 11 hours, all I needed to do was run pretty close to a four hour marathon. So I aim to hold a 9-minute-per-mile pace for the first 10-mile warm-up. And if you haven't done an Ironman, a great way to do it is to think of the first 10 miles as a warm-up, and then you do 10 miles of running, and then all you have to do is a 10K. And if you break it up into those segments, it makes it pretty easy. And I had this idea that if I did that, I could also really shoot for a sub four-hour marathon, but that wasn't really the goal. The goal wasn't to run under four hours. The goal was to make sure that I finished under 11 hours, and I didn't really want to risk overdoing it and missing my finishing goal time for the Ironman. Well, three miles to go, I came to this sobering realization that I was in trouble. I was looking at my watch in an aid station, and I realized that these remaining miles, the last three miles, were going to have to be my fastest miles of the entire day if I was going to actually make it in 11 hours. And I figured, you know, if, if I could just, like, have some more chicken broth at the end of the aid station... Uh, I could do some math and then reassess. I, mean, I was I was cold. I was tired. My neck was stiff. My back hurt. My quads were vibrating. I realized that really, even if I finished in you know, 11 hours and 5 minutes, that would be respectable. My tri club friends that laughed at me, they'd still be like, "Dude, that's pretty awesome. You took 55 minutes off your time." I mean, that would be a personal record by almost an hour. And I also knew that truthfully, no one really cares, and no one would ever know anyway. You know, but at the time I, I actually really thought about like all of the times I had looked at that time of ten fifty nine fifty nine. I had posted on my refrigerator as a bookmark in my book I was currently reading I thought about the 21.33 that I actually had taped on my bike stand to remind me. Every single time I rode of exactly how many miles per hour, 21.33 miles per hour, I needed to go for the entire 112-mile bike ride to even have a chance of reaching my goal, I suddenly realized that on seven different days in the past nine weeks, I had run mile repeats on the track in the rain and thunder so I would be able to run today. And suddenly, 11 anything just wasn't going to do. And so I ran. I mean, I ran right past the aid station, said, hold the chicken broth as I went by. I ran that mile and the next staying wide of the aid station so I could fly by the crowds of runners slowing down at each aid station, reaching for waters and bananas. And when I saw the lights of the finish chute and began to hear the finish line announcer, I ran like hell. I mean, every muscle fiber in my legs were screaming in pain. And most of that mile, my eyes were actually closed. I kept them clenched and shut. And I just told myself, you know, this is just the final lap of the last mile repeat Attractive, that's all this is. You can do this, you can go one more lap, you can do it. And that ended up being my fastest mile of the entire day. When I rounded the last corner out of the dark and into the bright lights, the clamor of cloud bells and the screaming of the crowd lying in the finish chute drowned out all the noise from my quads, and I just ran as hard as I could. Just before I hit the timing mat, I opened my eyes and I looked up at the clock 10 59 Some guy grabbed me and he wrapped a mylar. Blanket around my shoulders, and I heard this voice, Mike Riley, on the loudspeakers Christopher Segler, you are an Ironman. And I actually started to cry. I started to realize I could run fast in the dark with my eyes closed down the finishing chute of the Ironman triathlon, and I wouldn't trip over my own feet ever again. Over the course of 10 years, I did 15 Ironman races. I never quit, I never failed to finish. And yes, I did Ironman Hawaii. I got to tread water with the best triathletes in the world, in the Pacific Ocean, off the Kona Pier, and I got to hear Mike Riley scream my name as I ran down Ali'i Drive to the official finish of the Ironman World Championships. My Ironman journey taught me a couple of really important lessons. The first thing is that no matter who we are, no matter what we do, no matter what we think happens to us, for us, whatever, as kids, it is never too late to be what we might have been. No matter what happens, whether you have a stroke, whether you have a stress fracture, whether you have tendinitis or some other injury, you can always achieve your goal. When I had that injury getting ready for Ironman Florida, probably the most important lesson I learned was that everything we get taught in medical school is not really designed to help patients. It's designed to make things simple for doctors. The truth is, medicine is complicated. Patients are complicated because we're people, we're individuals. Athletes have goals. Runners wanted to run races, and runners want to finish those races. I had my reasons for wanting to finish Hawaii that I didn't even understand until years and years later after I decided that doing Hawaii was even a goal. You probably have things driving you that make you want to finish races and reasons you want to hope to run why you want to do these races for reasons you don't even understand and when you're deep in your training and after you've been dedicating months of hard efforts and workouts in the dark when you get injured there's nothing more deflating than having a doctor tell you you have to stop running well, that episode of perineal tendonitis i had when i was preparing for ironman florida by all conventional wisdom By everything we are taught in medical school, and frankly, what most doctors do in most of the same circumstances with runners like you, I would have been required to abandon that race and wear a fracture walking boot from anywhere from four to six weeks. And yet on the very day I would have been taking off that fracture walking boot in some doctor's office, I showed up on the starting line of Ironman Florida and I crossed that finish line in what turned out to be my fastest Ironman of my entire life. For more than 10 years now, I've looked at runners differently. I looked at running injuries differently. And I started actually going to medical conferences and teaching doctors how to treat runners like you differently. Because we are not normal patients. You are not a normal patient. You are different. You are a runner I realize that the standard of care was and is flawed. Everybody's different. Everyone heals differently. Certain approaches will help you heal faster, but it has to be individualized and customized to your level of fitness, your physiology, your running injury, and your place in that specific recovery from that injury right now. Today, I am a real runner, and I help injured runners run. That's it. Because I know what it feels like when you think you can't run. Even worse, when a doctor says, you can't run. But deep down inside, you know you can. So in the end, the most important thing Iron Man taught me about running injuries is that you, the injured runner, have a goal. That goal is important. Even if you're injured, there has to be a way. You can get there. The doctor's job is not to tell you to stop running. The doctor's job